Welcome to Plant Network Podcast, where we talk to horticulturists about their gardens and their careers. Hello and welcome to the Plant Network Podcast, an interview with. Today, Rebecca has handed over the podcast to me, Christopher Waddell, Senior Gardens Advisor at English Heritage, and I'm speaking with Rob Brett, who is a curator at the Royal Horticultural Society Garden at Hightall. Hello, Rob. How are you doing? Hey, Chris. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you very much indeed. Although still trying to wake up because you've got me up at six o'clock in the morning to do this, you know, etc. So, yeah, I'm just trying to wake up a bit. Well, I always thought gardeners are early risers. So, <laughs> no, nobody will know that it's actually seven o'clock and we're down the pub. Yeah? Exactly. Though social distance, of course. Of course, yes. So, Rob, what does it mean to be a curator at Hyde Hall for the RHS? A lot of work. <laughs> um, it's it's really quite an interesting one, isn't it? Curator. What does curator mean? And um, you know, I'm often asked that. And actually, I've I've got this little anecdote that I say um, because I, when I actually first started at Hyde Hall, somebody uh, wrote to me and said, um, uh, "Congratulations on becoming the creator." Yeah, and I thought. <laughs> there you go I'm all powerful now etc and I can do whatever I want and wouldn't it be wonderful if you are a curator as it were that you can do whatever you want of course you can't but you know a curator at Hyde Hall um, or a curator at an RHS garden or a curator at a garden really is is all about collection management um, at the end of the day and making sure that obviously you're providing whatever the focus associated with your garden uh you know and managing those collections as best as you possibly can i suppose horticulture every day to me seems different whatever you know aspect of horticulture i've been in and very much uh, as part and parcel of that becoming as it were curator um at rhs garden Hyde hall is very much every day you kind of go in and go okay I've got this planned and then obviously at the end of the day you haven't done anything that you'd necessarily plan because obviously everything else has come to sort of shift you sideways I also always remember people you know friends etc sort of saying to me you know um, Rob you look so excited to be going to work kind of I just thought that that was a norm but obviously not for everybody and I think we have yeah we're very lucky I think we are. And I, I took the decision when I was thinking, what career do I want? I wanted something that I enjoyed because you spend so much time doing it. It seemed to be odd to choose something that you didn't enjoy. And while every yes. job, I'm sure, has its moments. Exactly. But yeah. What's better than being paid for what you love doing? And we might obviously live in a shoebox because obviously we haven't made millions of being in horticulture. But hey, yeah, it's yeah. about quality of life in different ways and all of that. Definitely. I find it quite funny, though, also, uh, I think, is this aspect of, for me, actually, um, why I got into this sort of world was I didn't want to work in an office. And yeah. here I am pretty much now. Yeah, yeah. I think I had those those thoughts as well. I think for my first job, I worked out that I probably wanted a job with some responsibility, which meant I could perhaps choose and pick my moments to be inside or outside. But I seem to have ended up yeah. at a, in a job driving a desk. But I still yeah. do have a wonderful opportunity to visit gardens, so I can't um, talk too badly about it. So, Chris, I know you well, and you've had an interesting career. So how did you get to being where you are now? Well, I suppose it did come from that 
wanting to follow something that I enjoyed doing and I'll do a job while I enjoy it and if I'm not I'll go and find something else I suppose and I've had no direct career path but it's just been kind of following something that I found interesting and I suspect back uh, back in the days of yore when uh, going off to, to college or university meant you needed a uh, a year's experience I went off and spoke to my local National Trust head gardener and um, he kind of opened my eyes to the to the opportunities that were there and from there I just kind of followed that direction I grew up in the middle of rural Sussex Um, there wasn't a a great deal of other things to be doing other than enjoying the outside the woods the heathland the garden that I was lucky enough to, to grow up in um, and I've just kind of followed that interest. How did you get into horticulture? It's, a, it's, a fa- it's so funny, isn't it? Because I think you've, I feel like I fell into it. My dad always used to drag me out into the garden on Sunday to help him out in the garden. And all my mates would be off playing in the street or whatever. And, and I'd go, oh, I hate this. <laughs> Absolutely hate it. Why do I, you know, moan, grumble, grumble and all of that and here I am. Um, and um, so I think in some respects, um, probably there must have been some rub off there. I say fell in, fumbled probably is more the word, because in some respects, what I wanted to be was a rock and roll star. And of course, that never worked out. Um, There's still time, surely. <laughs> there might be. Who knows? Yeah. The thing really, I suppose, with it was you know, just literally leaving school and I literally got a job on a local pick your own farm you know did that during the summer uh, went back to further education college the following year had a basically a saturday job still at the pick your own farm basically completely yeah mucked up my further education well i had too much of a partying life and all of that sort of thing mucked up the further education college and then went back to the pick your own farm and it was kind of that's where it all sort of started was you know, from that, somebody then turned around to me and sort of said, well, you know, why don't you actually go and learn about this? You know, so I started off, as it were, in farming. I always find it interesting because before I even got my driving test, um, uh, I was taught how to drive a tractor. And then I was taught by the farm manager how to drive a forklift. Yeah, um, yeah. because I needed to load the potatoes in <laughs> as a 15 year old, 16 year old or whatever into the into the shop. Mm. Sure, that wasn't necessarily legal or allowed, but who knows? Yeah, okay. I think the world has changed. It yeah. it has, and hopefully for the better in some ways. <laughs> well, I always remember the incident once when I did was loading the potatoes into the uh, the farm shop, and uh, and I lifted the forks, and then suddenly realised that I was taking the roof off them, <laughs> and so slowly lowered it back down again, and then drove off. Didn't ever say anything to anybody, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> I got away with it. <laughs> so uh, your first kind of job was uh, on the agricultural side of things. What what would you describe your first job on the horticultural side of things being? Uh, so, um, so basically, uh, you know, after that person sort of said to me, oh, why don't you go and learn about this? I basically applied and went to um, North Wales College of Horticulture, basically uh, studied commercial horticulture. Uh, it was a year's course. It was fantastic experience as an 18 year old to sort of leave home and go to a different country yeah uh, and all of that yeah and um 
and really um after sort of finishing that I came back home the local garden center which was a family-run business were looking for somebody to look after their plants and so because i'd been to horticultural college um i got that job and that's what sort of i suppose fed me into sort of more of the sort of ornamental plants or plant focus rather than sort of uh, agriculture yeah and you well i uh i completed a year as a trainee gardener with the national trust um i'd previously my i, I suppose my first paid job was on a fruit farm like you picking strawberries over the summer but yeah my first job after school was with a trainee gardener of national trust at sheffield park and that really gave me a good good grounding and well, i then sheffield went off park, what a fabulous garden oh it is i still wander around there my parents live locally so whenever i yeah. get the opportunity it's just fantastic i always used to eat more strawberries okay than i probably did pick and then feel sick <laughs> did you do that <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's always those things, isn't it? Yeah. And then yeah. with me and my mate, we used to have strawberry fights and then we got into trouble. But hey. Yeah, no, I was never going to waste, waste them by throwing them. I found strawberries far <laughs> too delicious for that. So I then went off to, um, to Rittle to do a degree in horticulture yeah. because I had a fairly traditional upbringing yeah. through school um, and kind of university was expected. The minute yeah. I think I mentioned horticulture, um, I was even more ostracized and uh, <laughs> the teachers really didn't care. Uh, not entirely sure they did to begin with, but I, I felt there was a distinct change. No matter what, what plow on, um, I went to, to Rittle for four years, which included at that time a middle year. So uh, I was really fortunate to get a job at the University of Bristol Botanic Garden and that really opened my eyes to the kind of the plant collections um, yeah, side of things yeah, 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 and yeah. really got me interested and obviously kind of lodged in my brain because I left university. I was still thinking about historic gardens. I did my dissertation in the authenticity of historic garden restoration projects. And I went and found a job as a gardener in a historic landscape around a hotel. But I felt that wasn't stimulating enough, I think. Mm. I'd gone from yeah. a really intensive course yeah, I always kid my sister. She had eight eight hours of of teaching a a week, and I had that in a day. Yeah, um, yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, I found the the change in pace different, and yeah. not as stimulating. And I was really enjoying my work, but I was realizing that this probably wasn't going to be the be all and end all of of what I wanted to be doing. And so I went and 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 talked. I went back to the gardens I'd been in and went and talked to the to the head gardener and the curator and say, yeah, what. Well, what do you think? What do you think the possibilities are? And um, they were my mentors. And, and yeah. in, in a way, um, one unfortunately has passed away, but one, one still is. And yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that uh, the previous students from, from Bristol Botanic Garden had gone to Kew. And I thought, I'll give it a go. Uh, in my naive way of just following my nose of whatever sounds interesting at the time. <laughs> and, I love that. Yeah, I, I, I went to Kew and I absolutely fell apart in the interview to the point, and I will admit this, that I wrote in and I apologised because I just was not, not good. Anyway, I got a lovely letter back saying, I'm sure you did okay, Mr. Waddell. And Fantastic. yeah, lo, lo and behold, a few months later, thankfully, I, I got accepted. And that really opened my eyes and, and doors. 
How did you well, manage to get to, well, to get to Q? Because well, we, uh, we first bumped into each other at Q. You were kind of yeah, exactly. strolling around the glass houses in the orchid collection, as I seem to remember. But uh, yeah, how did you end up at Q? And what did you do? At Q? Well, obviously, we were a few years apart uh, associated with the course. But um, yeah, Q was a change of life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that that really um, helped where I am to, today, as it were, because it did really completely change my life. Having come from sort of the garden centre world, etc. Uh, I always remember in the garden centre world, landscapers coming in um, and basically using what knowledge I had about plants to sort of glean together a number of plants that they would then take off and make lots of money on etc and then they'd start to turn up in their Rolls Royces and all of this sort of thing and I just think hold on a second it's you know different world sort of thing so I actually actually I actually went into landscaping and then and then did all sorts of different things associated with that but actually a mate of mine from um, the North Wales College of Horticulture uh, Jonathan Allen he um, he uh, basically went on from the North Wales College to Kew and that's how I then learned about Kew and you're saying about the interview process do you know what I got asked um I always remember this okay uh what does NPK stand for and I completely lost it and I couldn't remember I think you know obviously there's a huge amounts of pressure that you're under sort of uh, scenario and so of course similar to you came out of that and sort of thought oh well yeah I've rubbished that one up uh, I then received a letter and was absolutely delighted and so Q completely changed you know my direction um, and while as you know doing the three-year diploma course you're getting all of these projects and all of this sort of stuff you know being thrown at you and um my first project I did was uh, a propagation project, uh, which was uh, I did on paphiopedlums and orchid. And um, uh, I suppose what I th thought was, well, horticulture, this vast subject, why don't I actually try and sort of specialise a little bit while I was, you know, doing the diploma. And so all of the projects then I based on orchids. And when I was due to be finishing, uh, the three-year course, a job came up in the orchid department at Kew. So that was really when, I suppose, botanic gardens became a, a bit more of my world. It's interesting you decided to, to focus on one topic. I just kept on seeing more and more opportunities. And in some ways, that made me want to, well, be able to select from some of those in the future and, and perhaps not specialise so early. And it was almost a conscious decision as I wanted to try everything. And I suppose... I did summer jobs to work out whether I liked something or not. So I went and worked in a pot plant nursery and I quickly decided I didn't like growing begonias and uh, poinsettias. But I had that experience and actually yeah. I decided I didn't want to go that, down that route, but it gave me the, some of the skills and the, the um, kind of the commercial speed to nursery work and things like that. So it gave me a fantastic background. And so I think I started collecting some of these skills and I realised that the common factor was kind of public gardens and kind of visitors and engaging people and that's perhaps what I like doing in my current role and what I've I've done in roles previously was well yes I can be out there planting and I enjoy that and I would love to get back to be a bit more hands-on at times but actually I get a lot of satisfaction about enabling people to be able to to do things 
um, and whether that's enabling a garden team to do a garden project or raise the standards or get the satisfaction of being able to complete something or a visitor coming along and enjoying the fruits of everybody's efforts and then getting enthused by the surroundings behind them. Um, that's where I think I found a niche, but I think it's perhaps one of the broader niches than focusing on a particular genera. Yeah, and I suppose, uh, you know, uh, I suppose similar, similarly, um, you know, I've sort of had this sort of experience within the orchid world that really actually did sort of channel me down into a narrow, very narrow, uh, narrow sort of remit or, or area, should I say, of horticulture. And I, again, always remember sort of, I got really interested in a particular genre of orchids called Bulbophyllum. Mm. And I suddenly realised one day that I would never learn everything there was about that particular one genre in my lifetime, because the more that you dig down and delve into stuff, the more actually you need to actually, you un uncover and therefore have to learn more, you know, type of thing. Yeah. And um, I was then getting very concerned, I suppose, about, um being just an orchid person as it were yeah and yeah. i didn't want to just be an orchid person i like orchids of course but you know i didn't want to just be the an orchid person and i've got this huge interest in education as well therefore actually just being involved in orchids was not the the thing that i was looking for i wanted the wider world so in some respects i'd sort of specialized and gone down this narrow path and then thought uh -huh. no i've got to come out of that and go in a different direction and uh, uh, Cambridge Botanic Garden basically gave me that opportunity because I went and became the glasshouse supervisor at Cambridge and um, that then opened the whole world up to sort of uh, more obviously indoor plants, exotic plants, etc, cacti, succulents, whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, that was that was another big turning point. And this is fantastic that uh, we've chosen a kind of a, a subject of horticulture, but it has already given us so many different opportunities and enabled us to either focus on something very specific or actually be a bit broader to take us from kind of the commercial side of things through to visitor engagement, through to education, all, all on a theme. Well, exactly. And I think it's, you know, we need to strive to being as good as we possibly can within horticulture. But also, it can't be just something that is like a, a stamp collection that, yeah. you know, we appreciate it, etc. I'm a firm believer that actually Q was built with a wall around it to keep people out. Yeah, it was a science-based institution. Yeah, that wall is still there, etc. But now it is a major visitor attraction. And I think that, you know, we've got to sort of make sure that those sort of things that we are doing passionately are there for all audiences as, as best as we possibly can and open it up as much as we possibly can. Please keep off the grass isn't a way in which we're going to get people engaged in horticulture. Exactly. And then you went from Cambridge to Eden. Was that a direct or were there other, other jobs in between? <laughs> no, there was a direct. And, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, one of the questions that we've probably got is is you know what has inspired you and you know most in your career or you know who has inspired you and stuff like that and you know I think there are places that inspire you and for me um because of my sort of interest in education I did a master's degree in environment and development education which is just basically about education for sustainability 
And, you know, Eden Project was this new kind of botanic garden that was being built down in Cornwall, very much as obviously an educational establishment, but very much a visitor uh, attraction as well. And with that, you know, it was about um, trying to get people to change their lives, change the world. That's what mm. I want to do is change the world. And, you know, and Eden was very much, you know, focused in on that. So, yeah, the Eden Project was just a, a fantastic opportunity and a really great experience. There I was uh, a curator for the temperate uh, collections, as it were, down there. So all of the outside biome um, and also the uh, Mediterranean biome, et cetera. So, yeah, it was it was it was a, a great opportunity to work with also some great, great people. And I think that this is the other aspect about horticulture, isn't it? You know, here we are having a nice chat, Chris, and I've known you for so long, et cetera. But you always meet nice people along yes. the way. Yeah. OK. I am including you, Chris, as well, oh, just to let you thank know. You. OK, you are one of those. Yeah. OK. But <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of <laughs> but it's kind of like this aspect, isn't it? Is you, you just get to work with some great people. And I certainly work with some great people down at the Eden Project as well. Um, and, you know, it's another, I, you, you know, if you're ever asked about your, you know, how you're going, you know, into your career and all of this sort of thing, I often sort of think I've just been lucky, right time, mm. right place, all of that sort of thing. Um, and of course, you know, people will turn around to you and say, surely it's not just about luck. But to tell you the truth, I think there is an element sometimes with this. You know, it seems like, you know, I've just fallen into this world, as it were. Uh, of of the career and all of this sort of thing but a lot of luck perhaps actually has come my way associated with you know the roles that I've been able to uh, get and achieve you know and it's it's yeah. just been great though I think there is a there is a saying I think it's attributed to a to a golfer I forget who about the more I practice the luckier I get and perhaps the more that we've studied and mm. worked in yeah. organizations and added those skills actually that is added to our luck and the skill sets that we can then take from one job to another um, and makes us hopefully more employable. So um, what's the difference between a curator at the Eden Project and a curator at the RHS? Are they similar roles? Oh, I, that is a good question. <laughs> um, I think to a degree, of course, there's similar roles because it's still about managing collections and stuff like that. But it depends on what the emphasis is on what the management of the collections is about mm. yeah and for the RHS obviously it's possibly completely different to what the Eden project which was about which was you know your collections were about collections that are going to engage with people um, to make them sort of see that the importance of plants you know globally you know um, I can't ever see the RHS necessarily growing a hemp field as it were in order to you know get people to engage with the, the uses of hemp or whatever it might be you know it's that sort of thing isn't it that's the mm. difference I suppose associated with so maybe a slightly different focus and very much the Eden project was about it, 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 I think probably we're all here with public gardens I think and I hope that we're all here on this particular page with public gardens because actually, again, it comes back to the previous point. We can't just actually beautify a place, et cetera, and get people to actually uh, naturally engage with it. We've got to be proactive with that engagement aspect. And it's got to be seen as a visitor experience. Yeah. Mm. 
And so I think in some respects, you know, this whole aspect between the curator at Eden and the curator at RHS Garden Hyde Hall has similarities because mm. actually Hyde Hall has to be a good day out for people, you know, yeah. and that doesn't necessarily therefore mean an aspect of just the horticulture. And certainly when I was down at Eden and obviously Heligan being on the door and, uh, and that, was this ex- the experiential thing? You know, it wasn't just about growing plants. It was showing people how to cook with them and all of this sort of thing. And what have we done? You know, I took my team down with the Global Growth Vegetable Garden at High Torn and took my team down to Eden and Heligan so that we could actually ex- get that. So, in other words, link these mm. sort of things. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's been that sort of, I suppose, rub off, as it were, about, you know, trying to get that sort of engagement going. Uh, for the RHS as well. Yeah, I hope that sort of answered it. I think it's probably a, it's it, you know there are differences, but yeah, maybe those differences need to be similar. And uh, it perhaps describes that horticulture is so different that a role w- that might be similarly titled in one organisation is is probably different in a in another, or called a different name, for example. Um, but it gives everybody an opportunity to find a niche. One hopes. Um, in, a, in a job that they enjoy mm. in, in horticulture. So is yeah. there anything that's kind of on your list that you still want to achieve career-wise? I don't know the answer to that, to tell you the truth, because I think you should always have an open door, open view. What I will say is it's the fact that I've had, a, you know, as a, we've already discussed, you know, been Kew, uh, Cambridge, Eden Project, even done a stint in plant science and stuff like that. And from my perspective, uh, what's actually happening at Hyde Hall is the most exciting time of my life. Mm. And it's because Hyde Hall is a young garden. I'm just about to uh, embark, I, the team, and us, we're just about to embark on uh, delivering an arboretum across the garden, you know, and stuff like this. This is capability brown moments, as I call them, you know, is this aspect of being able to do something that actually we're not going to necessarily sort of see it, you know, or, you know, in maturity anyway, but, oh my word, it's so exciting. Yeah. And Hyde Hall has that opportunity because it is a young garden. And as I always sort of say, it's 365 acres, it's 30 acres bigger than Q, but we haven't had the 250 years plus or whatever it is like Q. There's opportunities. Definitely. And I found that working for the RHS, the, the pace of change was fantastic and an, and an amazing opportunity to have. So I went from, from being a student at Q to working at Q, but I then got a job with the RHS at, at Wisley. And I did various roles at, at Wisley, kind of loving the variety again but also loving the the change and actually there aren't that many opportunities in horticulture to do new gardens or new garden areas on the scale that perhaps the RHS has been doing over the years with um, all of its gardens. Yeah I mean I think there is that you know that investment aspect I suppose and that opportunity to invest Um, and I think there are obviously uh, lots of opportunities you know for for horticulture whether it be private gardens as well I've never worked within the private garden areas and all of this sort of thing but obviously there's lots of opportunities sort of associated there. Uh, Hyde Hall is one of those that actually 
when I first arrived at the RHS five and a half years ago, um, it's this little old garden out on the east of England. And I do feel that hopefully, yeah, over time, yeah, yeah. Um, it will start to be one of those major competitors as a garden for the east of England kind of thing. You know, it's, and that, that's the excitement. Yeah. Yes, very much so. And yes, I've I've got um, former colleagues and friends and, and people like that who have had wonderful and still have wonderful careers in the private gardens and designing private gardens and doing some amazing projects. The one thing that never perhaps appealed to me on that side of things is who gets to see them. And I suppose it's the public gardens that interest me. And there aren't that many public new public gardens or parks. Um, being developed that enable people to to visit them and see the growth of a garden and see the garden mm. kind of developing which I think is a something special so um obviously my answer to this is Rob Brett but if you could en- interview anyone dead or alive <laughs> who would it be thank you Chris much uh, I see that as a, a very I think we should have another pint now, shouldn't we? Yeah, definitely. Okay, just to yes. make sure that everybody is knowing that we are still down the pub. Yeah. And probably what I would say, okay, is um, maybe I've already interviewed the person, you know, in some respects, because I had a very lucky experience when I was at Kew. Um, and I, again, lucky, but I don't know. I always remember, so I was working in the orchid department and literally walked in and I was, my part of my job was to look after the orchid displays within the Princess of Wales Conservatory. And I walked in one day and there was a school group there and basically the school group um, had a number of adults with them. And uh, so uh, me and the student I was with at the time walked in, etc. And I saw one of these people and I thought to myself, blow me down, that looks like Mick Jagger. Yeah. And um, and they then turned around and sure enough, it was Mick Jagger standing there with his school room. And obviously it brought one of his young kids in and all of this sort of thing. And anyway, this, I th- you know, you, you, where do you go with that? You know, it's like, you know, your heart's racing, all of this sort of thing, etc. is going on. And you just think to yourself, oh, my God, you know, it's Mick Jagger. Act cool. Yeah. OK. Well, <laughs> you know, there is no way that you're going to act cool, is there in any way, shape or form? But anyway, I thought I was just trying to act cool and we carried on doing whatever work it was that we were doing within the area display. And um, anyway, the school group walked on. And then uh, uh, basically a few moments later, um, I basically got a tap on my shoulder and I turned around and there was Mick Jagger standing in front of me. And he basically turned around and sort of said, so what is it about all these orchids in? Yeah, kind of thing. And I honestly, I thought to myself, oh, my word, you know, this is my opportunity, as it were, to have a one-to-one with Mick Jagger and tell him what makes an orchid an orchid, as it were. Yeah. So I did, yeah? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that was just, you know, a, <laughs> a fortuitous, most amazing experience. You know, there's, you know, um, you know, an aspect of you know one of my sort of I suppose number of albums that have influenced but Let It Bleed from the Rolling Stones was just an incredible album you know and here's Mick Jagger standing in front of me etc and of course I completely mucked it up at the end because you know what do you say to finish all of this sort of thing and I just went up to him and (laughs) shook his hand okay (laughs) said 
thanks for all the music. <laughs> <laughs> and then walked away and then just thought, why did you say that? Why did you say that kind of thing? But yeah, so maybe I've already had that sort of uh, experience, but I would sort of say that because of my interest in music, if there was people that probably I would want to uh, interview, that's nothing completely relating to horticulture in whatever shape or form, Probably the other people that would I would like to interview and all of them are dead now would be Jim Morrison, uh, Amy Winehouse and Prince. Yeah. So, yeah. God knows what I would say to them and I'd probably say the same thing. Thanks for all the music. Yeah. Well, definitely. Okay. I think there's a there's a lot to be thankful for with their range of, of music. Yeah. Um, I think you, my Chris? choices other than you would be a bit bit pedestrian um, and perhaps relate to, to some of the work that I do within English heritage is wouldn't it be fantastic to walk around the Sangar, the Sandwalk at Down House with Charles Darwin? Mm, God, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know what I'd say. I think I would be <laughs> a gibbering wreck, uh, as I've admitted to on many occasions being. Um, but just just that opportunity to to be that close and to understand, yeah, my 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 well, times. I think I think there's you know you choose these p- people if you sort of mean, and then you start thinking about all of the sort of things that you would try and say to them, but actually, what, what, how would you interview? And actually, I've got a lot of time for the great interviewers of, 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 of TV, et cetera, and all this sort of, of, of how they actually do engage with people, yeah. you know, and actually get them to talk. Yes. By the way, Chris, you're doing very well, because obviously I'm doing lots of talking. Well, thank you for that, because I was feeling that, uh, yes, there's, there's a whole skill in interviewing people, and uh, I think <laughs> I need a lot of practice. <laughs> I'm sure we're doing fine. Yeah. Hopefully nobody's fallen asleep so far. <laughs> well, picking up on some of those great interviewers, there is a, there is a Desert Island Discs programme, but let's, let's take it the horticultural <laughs> route. What yeah, three plants do you, uh, would you yeah. want to be stranded with on, uh, on a deserted island? That is such a difficult question I feel because it's kind of actually you know what's your favorite garden or what's your favorite plant or anything along those lines it's like oh my god yeah I I don't think I can necessarily answer you know uh, truly I suppose because there are so many but I think in some respects I would actually take the practical route uh, of course because if I was stranded on a desert island I'd probably want to make sure that there was food and water uh, as it were available um and therefore um probably a baobab tree simply mm. because um adansonia has then this i, I believe you can store something like 1200 gallons in a mature tree and stuff like that of water yeah yeah uh, but also provides fruits yeah and stuff like that and I even believe that there is an element associated with it of of medicine. And so therefore, you know, the tree of life, as it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So probably the baobab. And I was thinking about sort of the medicinal side of things as well. And aloe vera is an amazing plant associated with um, healing uh, properties associated with aloe vera, antioxidants and antibacterial aspects associated with which I think uh, would therefore then be another choice um, but actually um, if I could also interview somebody perhaps uh, no actually or should I say people that have highlighted you know you we talked earlier about sort of people that have um, sort of you know helped you 
with your career or whatever, etc. And I, I, I always remember Professor Gren Lucas, uh, keeper of the herbarium at Kew. Um, mm. You know, this is the guy that helps sort of initiate and start up WWF. You know, he has such an amazing uh, character and influence and, and, and a nice person, if you sort of mean. But I always remember one of his talks where, you know, he was one of the instigators to start, you know, sort of saying we need to do the Millennium Seed Bank. And I always remember one of his talks um, that actually, uh, uh, as it were, when he would sort of retired, etc. he was looking at doing obviously sort of talks associated with conservation and he completely changed the angle. And one of the angles that he chose, which is completely, I can see this, is the fact that if, if we're going to conserve plants, why don't we actually conserve plants from the sort of um, cultural and social and moral aspect associated with conserving plants, etc. And so actually he did this whole talk about what we get from plants that are basically cultural from paintings, you know, all you know, to sort of you know, sculpture the whole all the way through, etc. How plants influence and shape our cultures, you know, and I think it's such an important thing. So I think in some respects, even though I've had a you know, I've got my food and I've got my medicine. I think I probably need some plant that would be giving me a little bit of inspiration and uh, and all of that sort of thing and, and help me with my soul, uh, as it were. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it would therefore be an orchid because obviously, you know, my background. So there you go. I think yeah. those will probably be the three plants that I would do. And you? Very interesting. Oh, it's such as you say it's such a difficult question I think if you were to ask me in five minutes it would be different from now um, yeah, 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 I yeah. think I have quite a direct uh, line between my brain and my stomach so I'm probably thinking kind of survival and things, <laughs> things I can eat um, as many people know uh, I see the challenge of seasonality particularly with asparagus is that the last forkful of asparagus on the 21st of June, I must be so full that I don't want to see another piece until the, uh, the following <laughs> season. Uh, so there I think go. asparagus would have to be up on up on the list. Figs, I just, yes, a ripe fig plucked right from a tree, still warm by the sunshine, I just don't think can really be, be beaten. And I would probably need something for scent and to remind me of kind of, growing up in my parents garden and my grandparents garden and things like that and uh, the one memory I think I have was sowing sweet pea seeds with my uh, with my grandmother so I suspect I'll get all nostalgic and teary-eyed and sweet, think peas. sweet peas for me great plan yeah. yes well Rob thank you there so you much for speaking with me today and interviewing me as well as me trying to interview you um, it's been fantastic to to learn how your career has developed and uh, your interest in horticulture. So thank you very much. Thank you.